0: Hello and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman-Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 22. This week my guest is Gemma Lawrence. Gemma is an historical fiction writer and we'll be having a big chat about the Tudors and some other historical things as well, so stick around for that. So at my desk this week, as I record this intro... Uh, It is the middle of November, and so I'm not quite thinking about Christmas yet. So I've just been busy sorting out my new graphics tablet and getting on thinking about the book covers that I'm going to make for my next thing, which I hope to bring out in the new year. And uh, what else has happened this week? Well, I've been a guest on a podcast. Well, I was guest on a podcast a few months back, but of course, it's a long lead time, these things, because most of us record ahead. And then obviously there's the editing quite a few bits and pieces that need doing in order to get the podcast into the world, as it were. And uh, anyway, I was a guest on Jody J. Sperling's podcast, which is called The Reluctant Marketer. Now, this is a great podcast, and he's actually been a guest on here as well. So do go along and have a listen if you want to hear me rabbiting on about all things um, marketing. We're mostly talking about the marketing mindset and how hard it is for us authors to step out of the creativity for a bit and try and find some creativity and actually shouting from the rooftops and selling our words and having the confidence to do that. So go along and listen to Jody J. Spurling. He's a really lovely man and um, a great podcaster and his podcast is full of interesting people. Anyway, um, when he sent me the email to say that the, the podcast was coming out, I kind of stuck it in my notebook and um, didn't really think any more of it, to be honest. And then on Monday, I quite often um, download a few podcasts that I can use when I'm out walking my dog. And uh, I happened to notice that on his podcast, which I subscribed to, um, my name was on there, which was pretty funny. So obviously I thought I will have a listen to this. But of course, what was really funny was Jodie's doing this really uh, amusing thing with the writer Anthony Horowitz. So do go and have a listen, because even if you don't want to hear me rabbiting on about um, book marketing and things, uh, it is worth a listen to the first part of that podcast where it's got this just very short clip with... um, with Jodie asking uh, the very famous author something. And of course, what fun for me to be on there with, uh, not that I was on there on air with them, but on the same podcast as as the big famous author. So I thought I was, I was pretty tickled, to be honest. Anyway, so that was that, happy days. Anyway, come along and meet Gemma. She's a fascinating character and I know you're going to love her. On the Words and Pictures podcast this week, I'm really excited to invite Gemma Lawrence, who's a historical fiction writer. She's an indie author, author like myself, and she's a little bit obsessed with the Tudor era. Hello, Gemma, and how are you?
1: Hello, I'm fine, thank you.
0: Yeah, well, it's lovely to have you on. And uh, oh, I've got lots of questions because you've got a lot of books in your stable there. So, I think I think that's I think that's pretty good for an indie author. You've obviously really kept at it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I mean obsessed with the Tudor age, obsessed with writing. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm a little. My sister says I tend to go at things, uh, which which might uh, explain it. But yeah, I've been writing for about twenty years, but I didn't publish anything until about I think it was eight years ago I started publishing. So I had stuff in my like back catalogue as it was, but you know, it's, uh, a lot of stuff without any punctuation and just notes and scribbles and ideas. Yeah,
0: yeah I well, I think it's I think it's good to um, write a bit and then you know write 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 and then decide that you're going to publish I think you kind of learn your craft a bit more then I think a lot of people these days they they chuck something out and it's quite easy to actually get something out there and I think sometimes when I talk to other people I think mm, write a couple of books and chuck them away and then write one and publish yeah it. yeah there's yeah.
1: some yeah there's some there's some books that I've still got on my computer where I've sort of looked at them again after a few years and thought ooh. <laughs> Like oh dear, <laughs> that, uh, I thought it was good at the time, but obviously I hadn't read it back a few times and so probably not aloud. It's, it's a very telling experience, I think, reading your books aloud. Um, yes,
0: yes, actually that's one of my tricks. I I, I read aloud because I'm dyslexic, so I miss out link words and quite a lot of stuff that the computer fixes. But it's only when you hear it back that you think, ah, it doesn't doesn't have the rhythm that you would wish it to have. I think.
1: Yeah, and also you just realise that some sentences really don't make any sense.
0: Yeah, they do in your head when you're writing it. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. absolutely. Like you read it in your head and you think, oh yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. You read it out loud and you go, what? Like, And I've gone back over stuff because I I tried, uh, I was also dictating books for a while. I had some problems with RSI with my wrist from writing so much. Um, That's because you go at it, Gemma. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It's also because I, I have I, I'm very I'm very bad. Well, I've got much better the last couple of years, but I was very bad about my posture and uh, my office chair and ergonomics and all. That, and I've learned a lot about that over the past couple of years about not actually breaking myself.
0: Yes, and I think that's the thing as we get older. That is, I, I could sit in any old position and do whatever I wanted to do, and it never bothered me. But then, as I got a bit older, I found I had terrible, um, terrible neck. I oh get, yeah, I get a really bad neck. Right um, neck, yeah. Yeah, and so I got off the laptop and then had a, a you know, had a keyboard and a screen that's the right height, yeah. and the, and you know, and then I've got a proper chair and a footrest because I'm rather short, and and it's all like so I'm in a, in a nice upright position, and I don't really get those problems anymore. And also I take breaks now, whereas I used to yeah. just, you know, two but in the morning I was still fiddling. This oh, is, the time, yeah. So so for people. So Gemma's holding up a very, a very lovely penguin here, which I can see now is a kitchen timer. Yes. So he ticks away and tells you. And how long? How long does he go? 40 minutes? No, he, hour-
1: goes, he goes 25 minutes and then a yeah. five minute break and then 25 minutes and a five minute break. Every 25, <laughs> every four sets of 25, it's a half hour break. Yes. And I, and I force myself to get up now um so it's not just you're gonna sit there hunched over the computer for you know for two hours straight and then wonder why you can't move yes it's, yeah now it's, uh, it's no that, it's, that oh,
0: yeah I think I think that's a really good idea
1: older I'm 41 now so if it's and um I mean I know that's not old but it's um it's not somewhere in the middle you know <laughs> and um it's it started to be that you know like I can get crunchy neck if I don't look after my neck. So now I so now I've started doing all the things that my mother told me. Yes, when I was little, which is stand up straight, exercise, eat properly, and you know behave yourself. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it's all the things they tell you that you know sound quite boring, but you know it actually it's true. <laughs> it is. I think
0: it, I think it is true. Right, let's ask you about your writing now. I'm looking at your stuff and I see you have got um some books your your latest book is out at the moment so your latest book is the captive of the king and it's part of it's book four of a of a larger piece of work which is called the amirly amirly pronounce it for me
1: the armillary sphere I armillary
0: know. sphere so why is it called the armillary sphere
1: well it's it so. I don't know if you've ever seen one, but um, they pop up a lot. You see them in uh, certainly in gardens a lot these these days. The sort of garden ornaments, but it, they're rings of metal which are meant to um, describe the universe. Oh yeah, and there's ones that were uh, made in ancient China. There's um, but there, there was a big revival of them in the medieval period, um, and into the Tudors. And scholars used to have them on their desk, um, and it was usually a sign that a man was a scholar, and it was. Um, it was a sign that what you, you wanted to understand the workings of the universe, which really to them meant the workings of the mind of God. So that's and that's a very much a theme in the book is the mind, I suppose. Um, and it runs all the way through the book. So Jane Boleyn, who is the, the protagonist or the heroine, she does some things, I suppose, which are heroic. Uh, in the book, towards the end of her life, she was arrested and she was held in the Tower of London, and she had uh, what what we would term nowadays as a mental breakdown. So sort that she was putting on madness. Now I don't see any reason why she wouldn't have been um, wouldn't have had a natural breakdown because she would have been quite aware of the possibilities of what could happen to her. and impending death is pretty much something. That's so, told. so
0: is she um Boleyn's sister, right? She's- Not by.
1: In law, so she was uh, Anne
0: Boleyn's sister in law, yeah. right? So yeah. she's seen, has she seen Anne Boleyn beheaded at that point?
1: She didn't, well, we don't know where Jane was when Anne was beheaded, but but, but she knew Anne was beheaded, she yeah, her husband was beheaded at the same time. So were many of her friends, she she was arrested at the same time as Catherine Howard, um, yeah. and uh, because she served um, almost all of um Henry's wives, she served. Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, Anne of Cleves, and then Catherine Howard. And with Catherine Howard, she was um, arrested, and and that was how she felt. So, she, but she had because she had a sort of a breakdown in it. I, I got to thinking about the mind when I was thinking about her book, and I gave Jane a sort of confused sense of second sight, so she can see possible futures, and she can see. The past and um she never knows quite what she's seeing also there's a question through the books about madness and about what mad you know is <laughs> is it is it insane to have an insane to to sort of you know uh, is it more sane maybe to have an insane reaction when the world has gone insane you know exactly what is normal and what is madness and um because she's you know she, she sort of has a a breakdown and people say that she's faking madness to escape execution but isn't that just quite a sane reaction to an insane situation? Mm. Um, and I think that's where I was thinking. So I was thinking when I thought about the um, and the armillary sphere is something that pops up in so many things when I read and when I you know when you see portraits and things like that. and um, so I got thinking about these sorts of rings of metal which touched and interlinked and spun around each other, and about trying to understand the mind and the mind of God and uh trying to understand the world that you live in, and I think that's where it all sort of came from, so that's why it's called that
0: it's a, it's a, it's intriguing i think it's quite intriguing and and i and i like i like the i like the sound of it it's you know and and now I know what you mean i'm i'm yes it's good, I like it a lot i think it's um it's interesting because I think we kind of think that the um you know that we're the most modern era and we know everything, and yet people have been striving to kind of understand what what does life mean and what is sanity and, you know,
1: yeah. whether, whether
0: you're thinking that's the mind of God or, you know, how the universe works. We're, we're yeah. always trying to learn more. It's yeah. kind of a yeah. part of the human condition.
1: Yeah. No, I think and we're still expanding our, our understanding of the mm-hmm. mind. And there's so much we don't know about our own minds and about how they work and about how, you know, your personality is formed or your character and things like that. But there's a lot of mystery still lurking in there you know and we're only just starting to understand about other kinds of minds you know i mean now we have words like you know sort of um, neurotypical neurodivergent and and we're starting to understand that uh that many minds work in so many different ways and it doesn't make one of them right and one of them wrong and maybe greater understanding of all the different kinds of minds is is something that is, it, it, it should not just be something that we want to do, but I think it should be something we should be fascinated by, yeah. you know. So many different ways to see it out there now, I think. And I, I suppose I have a bit of a personal interest in uh, madness, in, in a sense, I suppose. My my grandmother was um, schizophrenic, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there was a great deal of social stigmatism which came along with that. Then it still does now. People would cross the road rather than go near her or all her, her children, my 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 mother and her siblings, um, and uh, but I think they felt very ostracised um, by that. You know, because people were afraid they could catch it. Somehow.
0: Yeah, or they think it's sort of going to rub off on you a little bit. A bit like even, you know, with people with that have a bit of bad luck, some, you know, for whatever reason that might be, might be death, might be illness or whatever it is, people kind of feel that they need to distance themselves away from it. You know, and I'm hoping that the world is moving on and we're, you know, much more embracing you know of of whatever's happening to people
1: yes you know, well, you much more supportive respond with more compassion and I think I think some of it is people are afraid afraid of their lack of understanding so sometimes when you're afraid of lack of understanding you ignore it rather than asking questions about it which is you know that's just not helpful to anyone you know I think I listened to a podcast called ologies and on that they say ask smart people dumb questions yeah um, and I think that's you know I it, I don't think that just applies to smart people just you or know podcasters <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah but greater understanding I think can only help and yeah I hope we're reacting to to people with more compassion and some sort of understanding these days but um, yeah it's I think we've still got a way to go but it's things to understand
0: yeah, absolutely. So why the Tudor era then, Gemma? What's what's your big facet? Have you always liked the Tudors? I, I like them too, actually. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's always one of the, if I'm going to read a bit of historical fiction, it's quite often the Tudors that I'll pick up. There's something very fascinating. When I was in the, Royal, the portrait gallery and there was a, a big thing years ago of a big picture of Henry VIII. And there's something very scary about that face I think.
1: Oh is it is it the big one with his hand? Yes 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 Yes, Holbein
0: I think it's by by Hans Holbein and it and it feels some you know you can feel that power in that even if I didn't know who he was you know where every school kid would know but but just standing there in front of that in the quiet of the gallery and I thought yes you you could see that he was a force to be reckoned with.
1: (laughs) But really that was the whole point of that portrait I mean that was the the size the pose the cod piece the the Tudors I think uh they they were masters of propaganda um I mean there's there's no one Elizabeth uh Elizabeth I think bests Henry VIII but um but he was the one who started it yeah I mean because by the time that portrait was painted I mean he really wasn't such a magnificent figure as that you know I mean he was he was he was yeah he was getting corpulent and um his leg uh he had a big ulcer on it from a jousting accident and uh that was I I imagine quite pungent apart from anything else and it um quite often it was always sealing over and then bursting and people would have to um Put bandages on it and try and, but it never, it never really healed that wound. It was quite revolting, I imagine. Um, he'd lost a lot of his hair. He was not the, he was not the physical Adonis. I think he's trying to betray himself as mm. in that picture. Um, and and the pose is so, you know, it's so sort of hyper masculine. Yeah, because when you when you get onto Edward's picture, and because he he's um, you know as he as quite a young boy, he's painted in the same way
0: yes And when the
1: next brother is you know it's I know he's meant to be trying to you know sort of emulate his father and things but there's something slightly slightly depressing about it in a way you know it's like because he was obviously trying to because if you're going to emulate someone I'm not sure Henry VIII should be the man (laughs) you emulated really Um, I mean, he's uh, in some way, you know, he's a very memorable king, but quite often not for good reason. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Quite scary, scary stuff, I think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, don't even get me on the Reformation.
1: Well, the Reformation, I mean, and it it really, you know, the Reformation may have started in a point where it was about, you know, reclaiming power from Rome, but it ended up with basically looting and pillaging the church that he was the head of. It ended up with, you know, thousands of people becoming beggars on the street, nuns, monks, you know, and it was such massive social change. And really it was done for very selfish reasons. It wasn't done for the good of his people, which was quite clearly quite clear afterwards um the way he treated the the men from the pilgrimage of grace who he pardoned and then he used an excuse to then go back and arrest them and then he basically killed everybody who ever loved him yeah I think towards the end of his life he must have been a haunted man because I mean he he'd rounded up and killed everyone who ever loved or supported him you know, and and some people he didn't kill directly. I mean, Wolsey and Catherine of Aragon, he didn't kill directly. But you could say that from years of serving him and working himself to the bone, Wolsey may have shortened his life and his arrest was probably the last straw for his health. And Catherine of Aragon, certainly her health was affected by where she was sent, you know, off into the into a house in the marshes. Yes, yeah, in the damp, was, yeah. You know off from her only daughter. The way he treated his children was cruel. I mean I same- was
0: amazed that um that Elizabeth I survived actually.
1: Yes, yes. Well it's one of the remarkable things about her is that's how how well she survived. And it isn't like she didn't face dangers. She faced it, Horrible. horrible I mean, you think that being the daughter of the king would protect you. But I think it's quite clear from the Thomas Seymour incidents that she was not protected. She was well aware from a very young age because she I think she was eight years old when she said to Robin Dudley, who was later the love of her life and her best friend. And she said to him that she was never going to marry. Now, When she was eight years old, that was when Catherine Howard, who was her mother's cousin, um, was arrested. and was executed. Um, And it was also when Elizabeth's aunt, Jane Boleyn, was executed. And that was when she turned... Now, eight years old is a very young age to turn around and swear to your best friend that you're never going to marry. And I think she was... I think Elizabeth equated marriage from a very early age, not only with a loss of power, but with death. I think she was... I don't think she had, like, a neurosis about it and she was running away from marriage, but I think she, she was very aware that handing your personal power over uh, to a man it was very dangerous. Her father taught her that. You know? Yes,
0: yeah. I think she learned Learned the hard lesson the hard way, I think. Oh, yeah, that's... quite scary stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So do you write other eras as well? Do, do you, uh, what's What's your second favourite? I mean, if that's your favourite.
1: <laughs>
0: because <But>, uh... <laughs> there's a lot of books there.
1: Um, I, so I've done some um, books, uh, medieval books. So I did yep. uh, two about... The, the Norman Conquest which were from the mm-hmm. uh, point of view of the wife of William the Conqueror who was Matilda of Flanders uh-huh. um, and I, I then did her I think granddaughter um, which was the Empress Matilda and I did a series of books on her um, which was about the the anarchy which was a period of civil war in Um, England uh, sort of gets forgotten as a civil war (laughs) I think it's probably because there were only a couple of battles in the whole thing and the rest was all sieges and men switching sides uh, every five minutes and uh, it was it was a very interesting it's also when uh, the only other uh, ones I've really read much about it I've read some about the Empress Matilda but Cadphile is set at the same time I know yeah um and, and and you get a sort of sense of it in CAD file. And there's I think it was Elizabeth Chadwick wrote a very good book on um on the Empress Matilda. Um so yeah, I'd say medieval is my is my second favourite. And, and I like the it... plantagenets. There's a lot of them, but I do like the plantagenets.
0: Oh, and when you're writing um historical fiction, how, how much are, you must get asked this all the time, but I feel I need to ask you this question. How how much do you you know, because obviously you're going to imagine a character and feel that you've got some affinity with that character in order to write them. Um, how much, you know, where do you draw the line to it from it being like, you know, a piece of history, historical writing and and then the fiction side of it? Do you, do you just let it, let that happen and then thread in the history or do you have the sort of made up stuff? You know, how much is true, I suppose I'm asking you. How much is true, Gemma? Because <laughs> I find when I read it. these, I kind of want to believe it, and then I have to remember that this is this is this is a work of fiction and it's based within that era. You know, so
1: how far do you it is all it is, How long is a piece of string, Gemma? It Tell it us now. That, I think Mantel said something about this where she said that she said that I think she said something like all history is fiction. Yeah. Because you sort of it is sort of stories told from one side or another. I think we are starting to get but mostly involved. written by men. Yes, which is a problem, and also you you've got everybody's own individual biases, men mm. or women, coming in. You know, yeah. on the other side. I, I mean, if you have stuff written by men of the church, they're they're generally going to come down quite hard on anyone that they think is you know an, an aberration to to religious beliefs. Um, you know, kings are going to want stuff told so that they look fantastic you know it's so that's sort of so in a way a lot of a lot of our history is is fiction what's so about mine is uh, when I structure a book I I try to go by known events so I'll, I'll go through the years I used to sit so when I wrote books I used to be a complete panster and I used to just throw myself at the book and, and hope for the best and type away but now I now I try and have a bit more structure because what I found was I'd get lost and I wouldn't know where I was so I write down the so it's the years the major events within those years and also if if things are recorded in historical record when it gets to the Tudors you often have people's actual words are recorded so I try and include those I quite often change them a little bit so that because sometimes it's you know if if there's too many betwixt and Mm, you know yeah thou wouldn't say you know and thou was also used very much you know still and it's um it's not really a word we use a lot now so I will change it slightly to hopefully make it more comprehensible um but yeah I try and include as much real things as possible but at the same time all of I and I don't change historical fact but at the same time there is my Interpretation of the character. I mean, uh, you know, I I can say this is what I think my Elizabeth was like, but I don't know if that's actually what well, the actual Elizabeth. I I try and and I try and s- I think a lot of people. Uh, there's um there's a you know some characters especially only see one side of them even in history, and I always try yeah. and see another side of them that I can see. So if they are submissive and weak and In public, I try and see if I thought they had any inner courage. Um, Mm. And maybe it's something that isn't less obvious. If they're strong and powerful, maybe they have a lot of insecurities. In fact, I think most people who portray themselves as strong and powerful are very insecure. Um, So it's things like that, really. Conversations, they're all things. They're mostly things that I create. You know, I I admit I may have made people more villainous than they were. (laughs) (laughs) But if I if I look if I read their story and I didn't think much of their actions, then I, I think that's that tends to <laughs> that tends to come out. So Thomas Boleyn, the father of the Boleyns, doesn't doesn't come out well in my books most of the time. I don't have a lot of affection for him. Yeah. So. Norfolk, the Duke of Norfolk, he doesn't do well in most of my books.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you for either of those. No, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's it, it, fascinating. Well, I think some people just come across and you think, and, and also I think we're looking at it from a, you know, a woman's point of view. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's some. Um, I think that's quite a good thing to, to do. Really, you know, like I said before, you know, as, as you know, much m- much of the history is written by. Men and and a lot of the women were their stories weren't told, you know. So you can just sort of go back in and try and fathom how that was and and the the men that they, you know, were trying to control them. Usually, how that you know how that yeah all happened. They did
1: control them. I mean, it, it it you know some of it's not even a try. You know, it's just uh, that they they did control them. They had no choice. You know, yeah. Well theoretically they had a choice about like who they were going to marry, but in, in all honesty, no, there wasn't no a choice. There. Yeah. I think there's, I, I wrote some books about Jane Seymour and that was, that was very much my thing because um, Jane Seymour, you know, there's, there's barely anything about her character. I, I mean, all, all we really know about her character and this and why people tend to come down on her quite hard is that she replaced Anne Boleyn. And at some point she must've realized she was going to replace Anne Boleyn and, that Anne was going to get arrested and, you know, uh, and it takes, and that's a, you know, she comes across mostly as quite a submissive little mouse. um, But then that shows quite a ruthless side to her character, you know? But again, it's, it's, yeah, I think you have to then consider it uh, on top of that is exactly how much choice she would have had in the matter. Once the King decided that he wanted to marry her, she had two very ambitious brothers, had no other prospects of marriage. She, you know, she, she may not have had, you know. Was she, it was uh, you know was she going to say no to the king at that point? And also, I, I I sort of argued in the book that maybe she didn't know that Anne was going to die. No queen of England had ever been executed for treason and um, and adultery. So did she know that Anne was going to die, or did she think that Anne was just going to get uh, the marriage was going to get annulled and Anne would be sent to a convent? You know what exactly was she told? She might not have known, you know, no, We no. back
0: now. And of course, and, she was very young as well.
1: We know that Anne Boleyn died. We know she was executed. We know that happened. At the time, people didn't know that was going to happen.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. You've got to
1: think that as well. You don't, they didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> so, you've got to, you know, things yeah. have to come as a surprise sometimes. Yeah. This. Yeah. It's, fasc-
0: it's fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. So are you always, um, uh reading history things and and going around historical places and do do you like to she's like nodding <laughs> to me. Um, I think I'll take that as a yes
1: <laughs> i do I do like a good castle i have to yes say. yes well so do I, I actually yes, yeah. so there's a castle and a hill forts you just fall over them all over the place, you walk out your house, fall over them yeah. um yes, i do yes, I love historical places uh i, I must have been after after we start getting into the georgian era i'm less
0: less bothered yes yeah I, I know I what you mean. mean yeah
1: there'll be some interest but yeah i like a good big drafty castle with scary corridors and things. yeah <laughs> and you know have you I got like have you got a favorite,
0: favorite castle
1: ruin sorry
0: favorite castle Ooh. oh oh okay. a mm, tricky question <laughs> That question is, for you. you weren't expecting that were you <laughs> favorite so castle. Well, my
1: favorite my favorite castle around here is really just a it's just a mound now so it's <laughs> so there's a few bricks on top of it. it's called whiston castle ah and the reason I like it is because you can still see its motte um yeah and it really is it's a very early ta- it's a very early castle so it would have just been a tower on top of a motte but because you can still see the mot um and the, the ring ditch outside of it um, and then, if you go there in the summer, you can see the buildings that would have been set around it because they show up in the, in the, um, uh, just on the earth. And it's, it's just a it's free, you know, it's free. It's always open. It's in a field in the middle yeah, of nowhere in Wales. Nice. And, uh, people just walk their dogs there. And, it, and I just think it's, yeah, it's, it's
0: got a bit of something about it's it. Stairs, it's
1: still got the yeah. stairs. Up so uh, every time I go there I, I run up the stairs and I have been told that Tony Rich is <laughs> he told me that he's done that as well yeah, yeah. I like the idea that there's numerous historical authors of Wales heading to Wiston Castle to run up, up the, the stairs yeah <laughs> see how fast you can do it um but I have to heaver castle is also very mm-hmm. special um I, I I've been there quite a lot of times it's just a beautiful castle. I mean, it it wouldn't be any good for defending anyone, you know. It was very much a manor house by that point, but it's a beautiful castle. The gardens are glorious. the 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 Italian lake that someone stuck in, in I think in the twenties, is um, not Tudor whatsoever, but it's very that's very beautiful as well, and it's just got a lovely, serene, somewhat sad feeling to it I think Eva. Um yeah. and I stayed I stayed there once they've got a out the back they've got a sort of b and uh, which feels like it's attached to the castle but it isn't but it's but you feel like you're in the castle and I uh, for my birthday one year I me and a friend went there and we went on a tour of Hiva Castle with Alison Weir mm. now that was marvellous and I think that was when her book on Mary Boleyn first came out it was some time ago, but it was that was that was really that was very special being shown around heaver castle by allison weir who's one of my favorite um historical uh history writers um and i do like her fiction books as well but that was yeah that was very special so heaver castle but yeah there's so many of them because yeah. hampton court is i know it's not a castle but it's very that's a yes story.
0: yeah i've been to hampton court yes i know that yeah like yeah it's um Yes, it's nice to walk. Well, we're lucky in England because we have so many places that you can sort of walk through. Some of them are just ruins, but they still have a, a great ambience and yeah. other places that you can actually go inside and, you know, just have a wander around. And, yeah, yeah, oh, it is yeah, really yeah. good.
1: And there's so many I've got on my list as well. There's, a <laughs> I've got a, got a list of castles that I want to to go and see. Not, they're not all in this country either, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, all over the place, but, yeah. Yeah. yeah give me a good cast on I'm quite happy but I do a lot of walking anyway um walking as uh, uh, number one as you said about you, you know you need to make sure you get up and move and have breaks but it's also I find quite often uh it's, it's where I get ideas um yes I think, me
0: too I have a whip it and I yeah. walk every morning and then again sort of late afternoon well uh, just before it gets dark now, yeah. um, me and me and the whippet go off. And sometimes I'm listening to podcasts and odds and ends. um yeah. But quite often I just like to just walk and just hear that well, I live near the beach, and I just like to just let my mind just waft about. Yeah. And usually when I've done that, when I come back, I can get on. You know, yeah for some reason. And I don't think I actively think I'm going to think about chapter seven now. I I don't do that. I just yeah, I just no, waft, no, I and then it. when I get back, I have the answer. So yeah. I don't know quite what happens. It might be the ozone <laughs> or the rain.
1: Well, also, sometimes it's not. Yeah, maybe I don't. It, I think it's just. Um, uh, I I I've always been rubbish at meditation. Um, I've tried lots of times. People tell me how good it is, and 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 stuff. And I'm rubbish at it. But if uh, my body is engaged doing something like walking, mm-hmm. running, I I I go to the gym now I go swimming I go also I do all sorts of things um, but if my body's doing something like that and my mind my mind then I think wanders off and I have a long time of no particular thoughts um and then something will just pop up and it will just be something and I don't think it's even something like you said it's not I've gone out thinking oh I've got a problem with you know the conversation in this yeah um it's just something just pops into my head and it's yeah. always it's always walking or doing something. That's yes, all... yeah,
0: yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, it, I think sometimes just having a bit of a break from it, and doing something that's nothing to do with it, bake the cake or whatever it is. Anyway, Gemma, we are nearly out of time. So oh, where can where can people find you online?
1: My books are available on Amazon. I don't have a web um, site as yet. I am on Twitter as um, at Tudor Tweet um i'm on instagram as i think i'm just g lawrence on instagram Uh, i'm also on mastodon now i joined this week so that's it's a lovely little platform actually i have Mm. to say very friendly everyone's very nice tudor tutor on there because you toot on mastodon you,
0: you I'm, it's not a platform i know no I, we are, well well i've i've met nice. you also. i
1: would encourage you to try it they're, they're, oh, well. they're, yeah. um, they're keeping up valiantly with the amount of people from twitter who've been joining lately and ah. uh, they're much smaller servers and you know that it's a much smaller um community but I, it's really very friendly very polite yeah it's got a very nice feeling to it Mastodon. Yeah. I, I did recently join uh, tiktok
0: thank you for coming on it's been great to yeah. have you that's nice. So thank you very much for inviting me on. OK, so that was Gemma. Uh, and uh, what a lovely woman. And the other thing is, I think it's amazing how much um, research these people do to write this historical fiction. And it sounds like Gemma really knows her stuff. So well done, Gemma. I think I'm too lazy to write historical fiction, if the truth be known. Anyway, next week, my guest is Diane McCartney. Diane writes uh, thrillers. So it'd be nice to talk to her, you know, different genre all over again. Now, the other thing is I keep forgetting to wish you all a really Merry Christmas because I think this is probably going to be going out Christmas week, this particular episode. So I hope you're having a lovely time, having a rest, you know, getting the family together and, um, you know, all that kind of thing. And uh, hopefully if you're a writer, you're finding a little bit of a moment to sneak away to your office, as I will be doing, to have a little secret write and get on with what you need to be doing because it never really stops, does it? Anyway, happy days. Uh, So happy new year and happy Christmas. And um, yeah, happy days. So this has been the Words and Pictures podcast. And I'm DJ Bowman Smith. You can find me at www.djbowmansmith.com. And um, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.